This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with not Brandon Swanee Swanson for this week, as Brandon is living it up in nice old sunny Florida, way down south. While I'm up here in Chicago, Brandon enjoying a little bit of a vacay this week. So I am solo as you are listening to the Primetime Podcast here on Most Valuable Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome in. If you're joining us yet again, thank you for coming back for another week of college sports. Sports and college sports talk. And I got a jam-packed show for you today, but before I start, if you're on YouTube, you're noticing something. You can't see my wonderful face, and I can't see your wonderful face. This week, since Brandon's out, it's going to be an audio-only podcast for Blog Talk Radio and YouTube, so you're just noticing that difference. But I got a jam-packed show for you guys today. Going to be talking a little bit of college basketball and college football, the full gambit here. Number one we'll look at is Adam Silver was on the herd today. In that interview mentioned something where they're rethinking. He's he's okay with going back and saying, hey, let's get rid of the one and done rule. So I am going to look at that and say, how does that affect college basketball? Would college basketball be better without the one and done rule? Then we're going to go and dive into the NFL draft like we've been doing here on the Primetime Podcast for the past couple of weeks, going to the defensive side of the ball this time as Arden Key, the defensive player, the lineman for LSU, they're expecting him to be back this year. Could he be the best defensive prospect for the 2018 NFL draft? Then I am going to stick in the SEC for college football to end the show with some comments made from the Texas A&M AD about head coach Kevin Sumlin. And will this be the final year for Kevin Sumlin at the University of Texas A&M? But let's jump right into it. We're going to talk about college basketball to start the show. And if you want to hear the comments, it's in the middle of the interview. I'm going to include the link down below in the description for you guys. But basically, Adam Silver was on the herd earlier today, and they mentioned things. The question really sparked from Colin asking him about the D-League, or what is now going to be called the G-League, sponsored by Gatorade. And within that kind of question, Adam Silver mentioned, hey, you know what, we are actually, or he said, I am open to kind of, thinking, rethinking the one-and-done rule, and it got me, my ears automatically perked, because if you guys are either a a avid listener of the Primetime Podcast or the Fast Break Podcast, you guys will know that I am not a fan of the one-and-done rule. I think that it's one of those things where should college basketball be a you're in it for three years? Not necessarily, because it's not the same thing as football. It's not, football has the you stay three years because I, if you came out 18 years old going up against an NFL pro because of the physicality of that sport, because of how kind of high-tensed and physical and violent it is, you'd get destroyed. There's no question. Your body has to go through changes from 18 to, let's say, three years. You're about 21, 22 when you come out for the NFL draft. So there's a reason why the NFL has that in place, and that's one of the big reasons. They don't want to have more injuries than the ones that they're already 
researching like concussions and all that. They don't want that for 18-year-olds coming out. But with basketball, you don't really have to deal with that. So the one-and-done rule when it comes in my cases, why do we even need it? And when it comes to college basketball, there was an article way back when, early this March, by Andrew Lynch of Fox Sports. And I kind of was rereading it today as he was, his article was titled how the one and done rule had ruined the NCAA tournament. And I was rereading it today because it, it kind of made some points to me when it comes to the one and done rule and college basketball, because how I'm looking at it, and this is my belief now is that if you are like a LeBron James, if you are like a Kevin Garnett, if you are like a Kobe Bryant and you have the talent to come out of high school and play in the NBA, good, more power to you. Go ahead. If you do not, but you still want to make that choice, you have the option to make that choice. The thing that I kind of feel that the one and done rule, I know why the NBA, the NBA is thinking of it strictly on the NBA. They don't want their product to be any lesser with kids coming in who aren't developed. But now that they're having the G League, they can kind of use that as kind of like a minor league system, kind of like baseball does. However, I don't think that would hurt college basketball because you look at college basketball, and the thing that I remember most from my childhood and just early college basketball, because through my life, I am sitting here 27 years old today on March 31st, I have kind of seen a little bit of two ways for college basketball. When I first got into college basketball, it was like the late 90s, early 2000s, and the first real team I fell in love with were my fighting Illini, especially the ones down with 2004-05. Actually, that 2004-05 team would have been the last, that would have been the last college season before the one-and-done rule. I still talk about those games today. I still talk about the Illinois-Louisville game. I still talk about the Illinois and the Arizona games. I still talk about those games. And part of me wonders if, you know, maybe the level of competition was a little bit better back then. And I know that now most of my life has now been past the one-and-done rule, so I've seen everything that the one-and-done rule has to offer, but... I just, I can't help but look at the one and done rule and kind of feel like, hey, you know what? I do look at the tournament a little bit differently than I used to as a kid. And the one thing is, I know that Lynch in this, in his article called, oh, the NCAA, that some of these games were unwatchable. I don't think it's that bad to where... I'm a college basketball fan. Obviously, I'm talking to you on a college basketball podcast or a college sports podcast, I should say, as we're going to touch football a little bit later. But the thing is, the games have definitely changed over the time as we are. This would have been the 11th season, I believe, since the one and done rule was enacted in 2005. And the things that I I think with the one and done rule is that I think it should be gone. I think that Adam Silver, what he, the reason he perked my ears today was because I think college basketball would be better without the one-and-done rule. And the main reason why is I feel like it will give 
it'll give students, it'll give young athletes the choice. Just because you get rid of the one-and-done rule doesn't mean that every athlete is going to go to the NBA. Yeah, there will be some that jump to the NBA. Would Ben Simmons have said, hey, I feel trapped, or why am I at LSU when I don't want to be here? Would a Markel Fultz have maybe gone straight to the NBA? Would Alonzo Ball with LeVar Ball? Would LeVar Ball have even had Lonzo go to UCLA if he could have just went straight to the NBA last season? There are obviously going to be players that go that route, but college basketball will still find those players that need to go to college to develop their game because that's a big thing that Adam Silver had mentioned with, and that's why I think they're kind of reworking the G League now to help with that kind of development to where, I mean, you look at a guy in Brandon Ingram, we loved him in college this past year, didn't really hear much from him. And I mean, I know he's on the Lakers and the Lakers weren't that good of a team, but still he wasn't making an immediate, an immediate impact for his team. There are few and far between with rookies, like the rookie of the years for this year in the NBA I mean, the leading guy is Dario Saric, and that's a guy who is an international guy. He didn't even go to college. And back to the point with one and done and college basketball, I think if we allow more students, more athletes, the choice to say whether I want to go to the pros, whether I want to play overseas, well, overseas is still an option, whether I want to go to the G League, whether I want to go to college, you're still going to get those players to those colleges because let's be honest I know that the recruiting game has kind of changed a little bit and I mean Calipari has kind of embraced this one and done and if you have either read Calipari's book or have watched any interviews with Calipari or have seen any documentaries with him you know he's the type of guy where he's in it for the players my goal is you're here for one year My goal is to get you drafted in the first round of the NBA draft or to get you drafted in the NBA, get you to the NBA. That's the model that he's kind of embraced and players have gone ahead and bought into that. That's why some of those one and doneers go to a lot of them go to Kentucky because, hey, this guy is going to do it. He's even the coach where he's there on draft night to say, hey, this is like your graduation day. Why would I miss my son's graduation? That's right out of the mouth of Coach Calipari in interviews and documentaries that he's been a part of. The thing I think with the one and done, and what I go back to, is it has to do solely with the NCAA tournament. Because let's be honest, there are few and far between of basketball fans, unless you are like a really big college basketball fan, which I am assuming you are because you're listening to this podcast, a lot of the people kind of check into basketball season. Non-conference is kind of like, okay, there's basketball on, but there's football on. Football, Football's still there, guys. Football is the main treat. Once football season ends and we start that conference season, that's when the majority of people switch over like, okay, it's basketball season, and that just ramps up all the way to conference tournament time. And then the NCAA tournament is kind of the apex or the mecca of all the excitement for college basketball, even when all of the casuals come in to watch tourney games, 
And I feel like if the NBA got rid of the one-and-done rule, it would make not only college basketball better, but the reason why it would make the tournament a whole of a lot better. And the reason why I say that is you look at, it's not going to change anything. Like if we get rid of the one and done, it will not change who goes to the final four in my mind. Will not change who goes to the final four. Will not change what type of team will win the national championship or go to that championship game. Because if you go all the way back, to 2005, and I want you to do this. Look through every single roster of the championship team and the runner-up team. The one thing you will notice is that the championship team and the runner-up team usually have a more upper-class kind of a roster to them. I mean, you look at right now the North Carolina team that just won this year. I mean, the Kennedy Meeks, Joel Berry, Justin Jackson, these were all upperclassmen guys. You look at the Gonzaga team that was also going up against them, that was also a more upper, like the only freshman on that team that was a star who's going to be in the first round of the NBA draft, a lottery pick, is Zach Collins. That is one player on that entire roster, which is a one and done. The rest of those guys, upperclassmen. And, I mean, you can go back even further. I could keep going back if I want to. Like Villanova, North Carolina, most of the North Carolina guys were similar. I mean, Marcus Page was one of the big ones that was there. The big difference from guys who left, he was an upperclassman. Villanova had upper a lot of upperclassmen guys. The only teams that make the kind of exception are the 2015 Duke team. They were they had a lot of freshmen from that team, and I know Grayson Allen was one of them, but he was not a one and dunner. Usually the Kentucky teams. I know the Kentucky team that won the national championship. I want to say Michigan in the 2012-2013 season was a heavily freshman team. But besides that, there weren't a ton of them. Maybe one of the Butler teams. So from 2006 all the way until now, about three, maybe four if we give it to them, three teams were led by one and Dunners. The rest of them had that upperclassman presence. And the thing that I'm looking at is I know that some of them you're going to say, well, Ricky, some of these guys had underclassmen and sophomores. Sophomores aren't going to count in this argument. Because we are talking one and done So that means freshmen. They were led by freshmen. And I look at the games for as we got later into the tournament, those games this year were exciting. And I think what will happen is if we get rid of the one and done, and now this is my theory, this isn't necessarily what is immediately going to happen. I mean, look at the one and done rule. We changed it in 2000, yeah, 2005, almost at 2015. We changed it in 2005, raised the age up to 19. Look at how long it took it to affect where we are now. We're 11 years down the line. Now we're starting to go, whoa, this is how things have kind of changed. And what I think is if we change the one and done, just get rid of it entirely, not even change it, get rid of it entirely, it will make 
the earlier games, the first and second round games, maybe even the Sweet 16 games, more exciting to watch because these will be players where it will be guys that A, you will have known for a couple of years. Of course, we're still going to get one and dunners because if they just get rid of it, there's going to be guys that want to come out after high school. There are going to be ones that come out after freshman year, sophomore year, but we're just not going to make a big deal about it. And we're still going to have the kind of guy, the teams are still, to me, recruiting is still going to say, stay the same. The big difference is you're not going to have that guy who feels handicapped to go to a team. The Ben Simmonses, the, I'll throw out Markel Fultz because he was, I know Sean has said many times he's the only thing that Washington team had. The Lonzo Balls for UCLA, the Brandon Ingrams at Duke, the Jaleel Okafor at Duke. I'm naming just a bunch of one and dunners at this point, but you get the point. What the one and done rule will do if it is abolished from the NBA is that I think it will make college basketball a little bit more A, competitive in the tournament. We won't just get Final Four and Elite Eight games and national championship games. Like, look at the last two national championship games. Look at those last two games. Those were exciting games. I think that is going to bridge over. Now, of course, with the NCAA tournament that you're going to have to think about is we are going to have teams that are mid-majors and below who, okay, there's a blowout from a Power Five to those but we might get a few of those that even come up and upset, and we might get back to maybe it's because I was a child. Maybe I have nostalgia glasses on, and this is where I'm kind of going to turn it on to you guys. But I think of my kind of late, early teens, because I would have been about 14, 15. I just think back to that Illinois season. Maybe I have the nostalgia goggles on, but I just think to that season and I go, Man, those games those games were exciting. And that Illinois team, I use them as the example because A, I was a fan, and B, they didn't have any standout freshmen. They didn't have any. I mean, D. Brown Jr. You had, I want to say Luther Head and Powell were seniors, and then Augustine was a junior, and Darren Williams was a junior. Darren Williams was the third overall pick in that draft. So I mean what I think getting rid of the one and done will make college basketball better because it will make the A, it'll make the tournament more compelling and more watchable in the beginning, like first, second round, and then Sweet 16 games. Everyone won't say, well, wake me up for the Final Four when it comes to exciting games. I'm not talking about basketball in general, just exciting games down to the wire. And also I think it's going to build a little bit of chemistry where we get to no guys. We get to fall in love with guys for more than one season where it's not just going to be, hey, Lonzo Ball, we talked about him last year. Next, This upcoming year on the Primetime Podcast, Brandon and I ain't going to talk about him because he's no longer in college basketball. We will get more of the Miles Bridges, as I would say, the guys that kind of stay because they love the university and want to stay before they go pro because another thing, and this is me kind of just going over that NBA side a little bit before I wrap it up, is Adam Silver even said, you look at the draft rankings at the beginning of the season and then at the draft, not much changes, very few changes for over a season from 
where they are ranked to where they are end when they ranked. But this is where I want to kind of turn the conversation on to you guys is let me know what you think of the NBA getting rid of the one and done rule. But also let me know what you think it would a affect college basketball. How would it affect college basketball? And two, do you think it'd be good or bad for college basketball? If we got rid of the one and done rule, let me know down below in the comment section. But we're going to move on into our next topic, and we're going into Kevin Sumlin and the Texas A&M Aggies. And if you're on YouTube, you're noticing right now that, hey, Ricky, we can't see you. That's because Brandon is in Florida doing an audio-only podcast this week on the YouTube channel. And the reason why we're talking Sumlin and Texas A&M is the fact that Texas A&M AD Scott Woodward came out and said this today. He said, and I quote, Coach knows he has to win, and he has to win this year. We have to do better than we've done in the past. It doesn't come up to objective data reading of wins and losses. That's not going to be the way I look at it. It's go. It's going to be a lot of subjectivity brought into it. How we win, what we do, how we do it, for me to make a decision on someone's future. End quote. And... I look at this and I go, this is a coach that not even two weeks ago, I think it was two or three weeks ago on this podcast, when me and Brandon were talking about coaches on the hot seat, I said, it's got to be Kevin Sumlin. And the reason why it's got to be Kevin Sumlin is what have you done for me lately, big guy? I mean, this is a coach where I'm not going to say that Kevin Sumlin is a terrible head coach. Now his leadership has come into question at times. I know that last August we were talking about an incident with him and his former assistants that it was just, it was unbearable at the time. His leadership has come into question, but he has won football games. And I mean, you look at his record overall in the Aggies are 33 and 19 since that 11 and two Manziel Heisman winning season. However, they're not even 500 in the SEC play since then. And that is the big thing that I think this comes into with the Sumlin job. You got to win in the SEC. You have to win your SEC games because if you do not win your SEC games, we will find somebody else. And the reason why is if you're not going to win now, there's no way you are ever going to overtake Alabama for the top school in your division. Oh, yeah, that's right. They are in your division. That's who you have. And, I mean, looking at the schedule for Texas A&M this year, who do you open up the schedule against? Oh, yeah, that's right. Right now on my quarterback rankings, the fourth-best quarterback in this draft class on the road at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena is the UCLA Bruins. You also get a good Razorback team on the road. You get the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yes, that game is at home, but you still get them. You get Florida, who could be with Malik Zaire. We're going. I was going to talk about that this week, but I thought, hey, let's see what happens with the graduation rule. But there's a possibility that Florida could have Zaire for that game if the SEC decides to waive the graduate transfer rule that they currently have. Auburn's going to be a much improved team. LSU's going to be a much improved team. And the thing 
that I look at is what do you want with Texas A&M? How longer? I said this in the hot the hot seat conversation. I was going to say the hot coaches, the hot seat conversation that Brandon and I had. I said, how often do you just want to be, eh, whatever, complacent, what do you, mediocre, complacent, however you want to look at it, because unless your goal, and it's different to have just have a goal and work towards getting that goal, how often do you want to say, yeah, we want to beat Alabama, but we're not going to beat Alabama. You can't have that mindset. And I think with Kevin Sumlin at the head of the Texas A&M Aggies, you are not going to dethrone Nick Saban and Alabama. And the reason why is I'll use Alabama as the kind of example in that. Look at what Nick Saban has built. And I know that we kind of had the mock question of like, oh, should we worry that Nick Saban only has two recruits for the 2018 season? No, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't worry. But you got to have, in order to beat Nick Saban, you have to have a coach that is just as structured and just as good of an organizer as he is. And I say that as I wouldn't say that he's an actual organizer, but he does have a culture in place. Look at Dabo Sweeney. There's a reason why Clemson was able to not only, A, give Alabama a fight the first year they were in the national title, but then this last year, Deshaun Watson and Dabo Sweeney again were able to overcome Nick Saban, and that's because he's a coach that has a culture. He got he has his guys buying in to that culture. I don't see that type of organization, whether it's the Nick Saban side or the Dabo Sweeney side, with Kevin Sumlin. I see it as you had Johnny Manziel in 2012. Johnny Manziel won the Heisman that year because it was flash in the pan. Whoa, we haven't seen him. And then he came down to earth a little bit. I know it was only a nine and four season compared to a eleven and two, but the SEC is where it's at. Under five hundred, they were six and two, six and two with Johnny Manziel. And Johnny Manziel beat Alabama that year. The other years with someone four and four, three and five, four and four, four and four, four and four. So three, four and four seasons, one three and five season. Since And I know what you're saying, Ricky, whoa, under 500. That's just one game, Ricky, just one game under 500. And I'm sitting there looking at you going, you're not, you're not mad at a 500 season. You are not mad at 500. And for me, I feel like if Illinois, who is a school where, I mean, you look at, and I know Tim Beckman towards the end had the whole how he treated players thing going against him too. Kind of, you can, I wouldn't even put that with someone's leadership. I'll leave that off to the side, but with even Beckman, that was the thing. Hey, schedule four games. Hope we win a couple of non-conferences. And then that one year, Hey, we won two, two conference games. And we're able to get to a bowl game. And he still got canned after the next year. And Bill Cubitt had to take over as the interim before they brought in Lovey Smith. So, I'm looking at a bad team in the Big Ten do that, and I look at a team that people expect to compete in the SEC, and they're not going to do that. I feel like Kevin Sumlin, this will be the last year for him, and I, I totally feel that because, like I said, looking at their schedule, it's been an entire 
eight and five, four and four the last two seasons of his time at at Texas A&M. And I know what you're saying. Well, Ricky, the four and four isn't great, but eight and five, it's still a winning record. If your goal is to make a bowl game, and that's it, make a bowl game, then yeah, Kevin Sumlin is your guy. But Aggie fans, if you want to, A, compete for the SEC division or the SEC crown or the college football playoff, you need to fire Kevin Sumlin. You need to get rid of him after this year because from what I've seen since that Johnny Manziel 11-2 season, I don't like it. I do not like it, and I don't think... It is the recipe for success to get you over the hump you're at. Kevin Sumlin's a guy where I feel like right now, if you're happy with going eight and five, having a winning record, not necessarily doing so well, going four and four in the SEC, but going, hey man, woo, that SEC, it is tough. It's a tough conference to play in. Woo, high fives all around. If you're okay with that, then go ahead. Keep Kevin Sumlin. But if you are not okay with that and you want to eventually win the division or win the conference or even go to the college football playoff, you need to look elsewhere from Kevin Sumlin. Because I'm looking at the schedule for this year. UCLA at UCLA. I'm sorry, you're not winning that game. Nickel State, you should win that one, one and one. UL Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette, you should win that one. Okay, two and one. Razorbacks at the Razorbacks, I'll give it to the I'll give it to Arkansas. You're two and two. South Carolina, kind of a toss-up game. I'll give it to the Aggies. You're at three and two. Bama's a loss. Florida's a loss. You're right there, three and four. Mississippi State's a toss-up. I'll leave it out there for right now. Auburn's a loss. You're at three and five. New Mexico's a win. You're at four and five. Old Miss, I'll give you that one. Five and five. LSU's a loss this year. You're at four and six. Even with that Mississippi win, if I gave you a win, 500 season. That's what I look at right now. A 500 season for the Texas A&M Aggies. And now is everything I say with the wins and the losses going to happen? Boom, bingo, bango, bongo. That's how it works. No, that's just how I see it. And Kevin, Kevin Sumlin to me is a coach that for the past few seasons I've looked at and gone, guys, it's just mediocrity, and it's just looking there being complacent with going, I'm using the last two seasons, eight and five, and then four and four in your conference, and being okay. I think this year is going to be different. I think you guys don't get to eight and five right now. I don't see it. Like I said, the out-of-conference games, I got you going three and one, but in conference, Razorback loss, Alabama loss, Florida loss, Auburn and LSU, that's five right there. That means Old Miss, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. That is three and five. That is right up the alley of where you will be this season in my mind. And, of course, there's, like I said, the Mississippi State game. And even the Old Miss game, I'm kind of torn on. I don't know which way those two are going to go, but I just, I look at Kevin Sumlin and I see mediocrity and I see someone who's gotten to the hump of this is where I'm at. I can't get over it. And if you want to win the division, if you want to win the conference, or if you want to make the college 
football playoff, then what you need to do is you need to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? We got to get rid of Kevin Sumlin at the end of the year. Now, the one thing I will say, and this is me kind of saying he it's not dead in the water that at the end he has to go into everything because the thing that you got to think from Woodward's statement is how did we lose? What did we do? To me, the what did we do is going into that leadership. How is everything behind the scenes? Are we set up for success? And what I think is going to happen is I I pray, I pray that it's not a lot of close losses because I feel like if it's a lot of close losses, Woodward would look at that and go, hey, you know what? It was a field goal here. Could have went either way, buddy. Keep your job. And if I'm a Texas A&M fan, I'm either hoping that you guys make the playoff because really to me, the only way the only way you keep the job is if I would say, I'm going to put a number on it, two losses in the SEC. Two losses in the SEC. That's it. That's all you can lose. Florida and Alabama are the only two, which you're – it's going to be hard because Auburn's going to be a tough game. And I'm telling you, LSU's going to be better this year. I'm looking at an LSU guy later in the podcast actually coming up next, and they are going to be a tougher team this year to go with, even without Leonard Fournette, because they got guys back there. So they really are going to be a better team. I think you guys lose more than two. I would ho- If I'm an Aggie fan, I'm hoping just – for a season to get someone out, get someone new in so that you guys can move forward and maybe win the division and maybe look to unthrone, dethrone, that's the word I'm looking for, dethrone the Alabama Crimson Tide and maybe even one day win the SEC. But this is where I'm going to turn it on to you guys, Texas A&M fans. Let me know down below. What do you guys think? Do you want someone? To, first off, do you want someone to keep his job? Are you hoping he loses the job? And then at the end of the year, what do you think will happen? Do you think he'll get fired? Do you think that he'll do enough to save his job? Let me know down below in the comment section. And okay, let's end the podcast with something that Brandon and I have been doing the last couple of weeks is we've been taking a prospect for this upcoming year in college football and kind of looking ahead a little bit, kind of having more of these 2018 NFL draft topics to get the hype going a little bit for next year's draft season. If you want to check those out, we talked about Saquon Barkley, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen. We even did a sub one where we mentioned some other guys as well. So go check those out on our YouTube page. And of course, blogtalkradio.com backslash primetime podcast for all your primetime podcast needs. But today I'm going to look at a... This is a prospect that was brought up to me when we did our Josh Allen video. And the comment came from Charlie Boltman. Hope I said your last name right, man. But Charlie, basically in the beginning of the comment before going on into Allen, said, and I quote, I think think it all depends on how teams grade Arden Key from LSU and who has the top pick. Arden Key is easily my top-rated college prospect, followed by Saquon Barkley and then Josh Allen. And the thing, the reason why, another reason why I'm like, hey, let's talk about Arden Key today is it was said by their defensive coordinator that, hey, we expect him 
to be back. We're going to make a decision this week as SEC spring meetings go on. And then today, as I'm recording this podcast on Wednesday, Ed Orgeron said, hey, classes start on Monday, and I expect Arden Key to be there. So LSU right now is confident that Arden Key will be back with them this season. I know that over the summer, Arden Key was like, I got to step away. said, oh, it wasn't anything to do with injury. Ed Orgeron expects him to be back this season. And really the question that I'm talking about today is, is he going to be the best defensive prospect? And it's it's hard not to take Arden Key right now and blatantly just compare him to Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett was a guy, number one pick in the draft last year, a pass rusher just like Arden Key. I know at the beginning of the podcast I mentioned, oh, defensive lineman, he's more of that hybrid. He's played on the line, but he's an outside linebacker technically by position. And when I looked at the film, when I was watching his film, there were things that jumped out to me when it came to Arden Key. And the first one, the first one, and maybe this is me, like I was saying, the blatant kind of comparison to a Miles Garrett. The first thing I noticed is Arden Key does not give up on the ball or does not give up on the play. There had been several plays where I know that the ones were, okay, he overextends because he's got to outrun the linemen and come up behind the quarterback. Those ones you're going to go 100%. But even if like the quarterback started to run out of the pocket, he would chase the quarterback. He would go with the play. He would not stop until the play is over. Where There were numerous piles where it's like, okay, he's tackled up. There's Arden Key. Not blatantly late where you'd need a penalty, but he was going to get in on that pile before the next play. That's something I look into. And, I mean, compared to a Miles Garrett, who, and like I said, maybe this is me just blatantly comparing him to Miles Garrett because Garrett had just gone number one last year. I just, I, I love that about Key more than Garrett because the biggest complaint with Garrett was that he's lazy and gives up plays. Those were the big kind of negatives that were thrown out with Miles Garrett. You know, he's lazy and he gives up on plays. And I watch Arden Key's film just from the film that I watched. I don't see that. I see a guy that goes and gives it is 110%. He's going to go after the ball. And really, like, it's, I look at it and I go, wow, that is something I want in a pass rusher, someone who is going to be relentless and not give up on a play, even if the ball moves while he's trying to get to that quarterback. Another thing I noticed is, dude's got speed. This Dude has got mad speed. There was one, I think it was from the Jacksonville State game, I saw in the film where he did a kind of out and cut in right past the lineman. And when you get him one-on-one with the quarterback, if I was the quarterback, I would have crapped my pants. That's basically how quick he is where he's, it seems like zero to a hundred like that, where boom, it's just tunnel vision right down. He just gets quicker and quicker until he gets to that quarterback, and this is a guy where I can see, of course it depends on the asterisks and the kind of disclaimer, hey, got to have a good 2017 year, but this is a guy coming in where I see he has the tools. He has the tools 
to be a first-round pick. There's a reason why I want to say he's in the early to mid-teens in Todd McShay's early mock draft, but part of me just part of me wants to agree with my man Charlie. Part of me wants to go and say, hey, you know what? There's a chance that Arden Key's a top-five pick in this draft. And, of course, this year with the draft, the kind of unique thing of it is going to be if you need a quarterback, you're – if you need a quarterback in that top five, you're going to go get a quarterback. If you need a quarterback in that top ten and they're available, you're going to go get a quarterback. There are going to be numerous ones. I mean, my top five alone, just the top four even, because Luke Falk, I, Luke Falk, Mason Rudolph, and Baker Mayfield are tied for my five, but my top four I feel could all go in the top five depending on which teams are there where you have Darnold, Allen, Rosen, and Jackson in no particular order. Those guys, as of right now, boom, top four, and I would have them all as top five picks coming into the 2018 NFL draft. However, Arden Key is going to be unique because, I mean, I look at his stats his freshman year, played 12 games, had 41 total tackles, six and a half for loss, five sacks. He upped all those numbers in his sophomore year in one last game. He had... 55 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for loss, which to me, you're doubling. You're almost doubling. You were half a sack away from doubling your TFL output from the year before. And then he went ahead and doubled his sack numbers and got 11 for last season. So if he can go out there, and I'm not even going to throw out the number of, I know in one of the audio clips, because it was from ESPN on the, film that I was watching from him to get ready for this segment of the podcast. I know they mentioned like, well, you know what? He he's really shooting for 20 sacks this year and he didn't get it. He only got 11 sacks last year, but man, if he could get 20 sacks, if he could even up that a little bit more and get like 15 sacks, I'm going to say like the 15 to 18 sack range up those tackles for losses and That, to me, looking at the film, looking at the stats, the tackles for loss really jumps out to me because I look at seeing the, just seeing the 6.5 to 12.5 and then watching what kind of a player he is in his film because, you know, the cliche, tape don't lie. This is a guy that is going to give it his 110% and he's not going to give up on a play. You will not, like, I guarantee it. When we get to the 2018 NFL Draft and Mark and I and the onside kick are talking about the different prospects and their weaknesses and their strengths, a weakness for this guy will not be that he's lazy and gives up on plays. That will be the furthest thing from the truth with Arden Key. And I think I think this kid's going to be, to answer the question that I'm posing out there of will he be the best defensive prospect, I think he will be. I think that Arden Key is going to be the best defensive prospect this year in the 2018 NFL Draft and really what it comes down to. And the two guys that I'm kind of looking at for the kind of top spot for defensive because, I mean, Todd McShay... Had him at 11, so even higher, a little bit higher than I had said with early to mid-teens. To me, this year is going to come down to 
either Christian Wilkins or Arden Key. Which which kind of guy is going to be our best pass our our best defensive player? Pardon me. I mean, I think the top three. If I had to put another one in there, there's going to be three guys I look at: Wilkins from Clemson, Key from LSU, and then Derwin James from Florida State. I think that. Every single year we get that where it's linemen and the kind of pass rushers. That's what we get there. And then we also get that safety, like the look at the Jalen Ramseys and all that, that we got the kind of this is the guy that is going to be our top safety. Look, even Jamal Adams and Malik Hooker from last year. There's always those safeties that are highly touted, especially and we're hyping them up into the top five. So Key Wilkins and Derwin James are going to be, right now, the guys I think are the top three, and really Arden Key, the really big one. I think it's going to be him and Wilkins that we are talking about because, I mean, Wilkins finished um, second on Clemson last year with 13 tackles for loss, and he was just behind Carlos Watkins with 13.5. So he had 13 tackles for loss. And, I mean, you look at that, and that's just a little bit. It's not much, not much above Arden Key, but I think that's what we look at this year. And I know what you're saying. Ricky, not much. It's half a tackle a loss ahead of Arden Key. I think that's what it's going to come down to. Who has more tackles for loss? Who has more sacks? Because I like Arden Key from watching the film from last year. He looks like a guy that doesn't give up on plays. He definitely has the speed. The only thing I kind of question right now is I know according to um, college football uh, pro reference or college football sports reference, I should say, they have him down as 6'6 and 231. On his film, he did look a little bit slender and a little bit kind of maybe that's why he's so quick. He looked like a thin guy. He looked like a thinner kind of a pass rusher. When he gets to the NFL, I bet you one of the things that Mark and I are going to be saying when Key gets to the NFL draft and we're talking about him on the onside kick is, I bet you the words that he needs to either bulk up, doesn't have the frame is there, he just doesn't have the size for the position. Size and the words bulking up and adding weight, adding muscle will be there when he gets there, because he just looks to me, he looks very thin. It's like, come on, add, add a little bit more pounds, get a little bit more oomph, especially when you change from college level all the way to the pro level. So that's really the only negative I see with him early on. I know this season really dissecting the guys from the draft class, you're really going to look at this year as the main barometer for what they are going to go to and their strengths and their weaknesses. But that's just one thing that I have noticed right now. So if I had to say, just answering the question one more time, so you guys have it, I'm not ready to say he'll be the best defensive prospect, but I think he will be the top three when we get to the NFL draft. But as always, let me know what you guys think down below in the comment section. What do you think Arden Keaty is going to have a good season? Is he going to have a mediocre season? What do you think? What do you like in his game? What don't you like in his game? Let me know down below in the comment section. I want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Primetime Podcast yet again. 
all by myself for this one. Brandon, enjoying the sunny Florida weather. I saw a picture. He was at Universal not too long ago. Brandon, I'm creeping on you, and I'm wishing that I was in Florida with you. But instead, I'm here in Chicago recording the podcast for you guys. Let me know what you think again down below in the comment section. You can follow me on Twitter at Ricky Widmer. Go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button. And also check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast to help support the channel more so than hitting that like and subscribe button. I want to thank you guys for either watching or listening today. And as always, have a good day, everybody.